Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Courage is armor a blind man wears. That calloused scar of outlived despairs. Courage is fear said its prayers. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. My name is Devin, the lead pastor here at Berean, and a welcome to those of you who are here in person, to those of you who are joining us online. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I would love to have that opportunity. So I'll be around after the service and would love to connect with you. Now, this is our second week in this new series called Courage Redefined as we study the life of Elijah. And context and background, all of that is important because the world in which Elijah lived and ministered is a lot like our world today. And sometimes we can forget just how bad things were. You see, the year is about 860 BC, about 860 years before the birth of Christ, the turn of the millennia. And the world is not as it should be. And if you ever doubt just how bad things had gotten, the writer of 1 Kings gives us a glimpse in chapter 16. Now in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read our primary text for the day. But today I want to read for you just a little section to start off from chapter 16. Because Elijah, this prophet, this man of God, this guy who has this incredible life and does some incredible things for God, comes into a world that is fragmented and broken, where Israel, God's chosen people, are ruled over by an evil and wicked king. Let me read for you a few verses from chapter 16. This is all about Ahab. And as, and if it had not been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Ahab took for his wife Jezebel the daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab, listen to this, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger him than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So you have Ahab, who's a wicked and evil king, and he marries, he chooses to marry a gal named Jezebel. Now, I looked through our church database, and despite housing thousands of names, there is no one named Jezebel. (laughs) Why? Well, because that name has a bad reputation. 
You see, Ahab was a wicked king. Jezebel was a wicked queen. They get together, and the wickedness only compounds from there. So Elijah comes and sets the scene. We're not introduced. We're not given his origin stories. He just kind of bursts onto the scenes. Maybe at some point Marvel will pick up his origin story because it's clear that they're running out of ideas. So Elijah comes onto the scene and he pronounces to King Ahab that there's going to be a drought. There will be neither dew nor rain except by his word. Elijah obeys. And last week we looked at how courage... Courage starts with simple obedience. You can't outpace. You will never outlive. You will never outgrow your need, our need for simple obedience. Elijah is faithful to God's call. He pronounces this judgment over Israel because of their their idolatrous worship. And then God says, Elijah, come away. I want you to go to the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So he goes on this trek, and there he has a situation that is good, but far from ideal. You see, Elijah drinks from the brook, and ravens come and feed him. It's like an Uber Eats type thing. So he's there, and he's eating, and he's drinking from the brook, and then God calls him to Sidon. Remember, Sidon is where Jezebel is from. And Elijah is told that there's going to be a widow there who's going to help take care of him. So he goes. He goes and he meets this lady. And this lady, this widow, is at her end. When he meets her, she's gathering some sticks because her plan is to go home and have a little fire and use the little bit of oil, the little bit of flour that she has to make her and her son some kind of bread meal. And they're picturing and imagining and suspecting that this is going to be their final meal. Drought has spread. Famine has spread. There is nothing left. There is no hope for her. So she says, no, I'm I'm gathering these sticks because we're going to go home. I'm going to make a little meal. And then we're going to lie down and die. And Elijah, who has obeyed God, sees the power of God because the bread, the, the oil, The flower, it's multiplied. The woman is spared. But that's not where the story ends. You see, in our lives, we want our story to end right here, on a high note, right? I mean, think about it. This woman was probably sleeping well at night. Everything was coming up roses. She had food in the midst of a drought. She had this man of God who could apparently perform miracles. Right? Who knows what else he can do? Maybe eventually when you build some trust, some relationship capital, you'll be able to ask for something a little bit more exciting. Steak, maybe? Something cold to drink? Who knows? But she has everything that she needs. She has food. She has a man of God under her roof. Wouldn't it be nice if that's where the story ends? Wouldn't it be nice if that's where your story ended on a high note? But I may not have much gray hair. (laughs) But I've lived long enough. And I've walked with people long enough to know. 
that we don't spend our whole lives on the mountaintop. We don't spend our whole lives celebrating victory after victory. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if if each of us could say, you know what, yeah, when I was 20 years old, I had a rough period there, and God really, he taught me some lessons, and actually, since then, the last three decades have been smooth sailing. Pretty easy. Everything I want, I get. There's no disappointments. There's no hardship. Wouldn't it be nice if that's how life works? So the reality is that's not true. You know it from personal experience. That life does have seasons of victory, of mountaintop. Seasons like this where we're like, man, God is good. I have everything we need. And yet life is also filled with the valley. And what we're going to see today is that this woman, this widow, goes from a mountaintop experience down to a valley experience. And all the while, God is working. Now, if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17 to 24. This is the word of the Lord. After this, after all of this victory, this mountaintop experience, after this triumph, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sins to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he had lodged. And he laid him on his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Very simply today, from this passage that we're studying, I want to offer you two thoughts about courage. The first is this. You need courage. Because hard times are bound to come. You need courage because you cannot escape the realities of the struggle of the human life. You need courage because hard times are bound to come. I mean, think about the experience of this woman. Everything was great. She had more than enough. 
from famine to feasting. But she doesn't stay there. Because this same son that she thought and she knew was destined to die from starvation, she had processed through that. She had wrestled through that, saying, this is our last meal. We have no hope left. He's spared because of the power of God displayed through Elijah. But after this, it says, after this incredible victory, after this high point, after this triumph, comes tragedy. Because that little boy gets sick. And the sickness continues. And that little boy dies. Now we're not told his exact age, but it's clear from the text, from the narrative, that he would have been very small. He dies in his mother's arms. And Elijah scoops him up from his mother's arms and takes him upstairs. The fact that he was able to carry him, that that is mentioned, shows that he was small. And you know from personal experience or things that you have heard that there is nothing worse in life than parents burying their children. That we get at times a glimpse of just how broken this world is when we see these events occur. And my wife and I, we've sat with families who have lost babies. I've done funerals with these little tiny caskets where the whole time that I'm trying to minister and serve and honor the the legacy and life, the short legacy and short life of this child to provide comfort to the family. I can't even look at the tiny casket. We know that it's wrong. We know that it shouldn't be this way. And some of you have experienced this. And I've talked to you about it. You have been wounded and you will never walk the same again. It has changed you. Maybe it was an accident or maybe it was sickness. Maybe it was a miscarriage. Maybe it was a stillbirth. This woman experienced what many of you have experienced. The loss of a child. You know what's interesting is that the first death in the Bible is the death of a son. Cain killed his brother Abel. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were the first to bury their child. And if that's you and you have been hurt in this way, you have suffered this kind of loss, I want you to hear me very carefully that God has a soft spot for those who have lost children. That God understands what it is like to lose a child. Sure, three days later, he was resurrected. But that very resurrection 
is what provides hope for you. That because of the sufficiency of Christ and the grace of God, that your reunion with that little boy or that little girl that you miss so desperately, that reunion may take a lot more than three days. But one day, you will be with them. This woman has walked through one of the hardest and most difficult situations that we can imagine. And this widow needs courage. Because for her, for all intents and purposes, this story, her story, is done. This is it. She has lost everything that she treasures. Her son has died. And she anticipates that this is the end. Heartbroken and without hope. The reality is, church, that whether it be this exact situation or something else, hard times are bound to come. You cannot escape the reality, the effects and the impact and the repercussions of loss and sickness. You see, we could as a church say, you know what? This world's gone mad. Let's just get out of here. Right? I'm not talking spaceship or, you know, following me to the moon, drinking Kool-Aid or anything like that. But what if we, hear me out, bought 1,500 acres, kind of northern Minnesota, somewhere near the Canadian border, so I feel comfortable. <laughs> so we buy 1,500 acres, and we build a really big wall around it. And we only let in, like, you know, people who know what they're doing, have it all together. Uh, we only let in, like, the good folks. Right? And some of you are like, is that, does that include me? <laughs> Even if we went and built ourselves this sweet little commune and we retreated from the world, the reality is that it wouldn't take long until the effects of sin, of loss, of death, of sickness come yet again and surprise us. Because you and I cannot escape. We live in a fallen and broken world. So this means that we need courage. We need courage because we live in a world gone mad. But we also need courage when our world goes bad. When pain and struggle and loss rear its head. We need courage. Well, then the question comes... How? How can we have courage? How can we have courage in the face of loss like this? While we need courage because hard times are bound to come, we can have courage. Why? Because God is the God of the impossible. Now, we're going to unpack this because I'm not talking here about a naive, juvenile faith. I'm not talking here about a shallow theology that just says, believe God and everything's going to be great. Because God's the God of the impossible and he's going to work whatever you want him to do. I'm going to unpack that here in a minute. 
But I want to get into the text here first. God is the God of the impossible. And what we see here is that Elijah comes and he scoops this boy up from this grieving mother and he takes him upstairs and he calls out to God. Elijah doesn't understand why God is doing what he's doing. Elijah doesn't understand why God has done this. This man of God, this prophet, who is going to do incredible and powerful things in his life, is puzzled. About God's will. You know, I thought when I was younger that as I aged, it would all just make sense. Right? That maybe if I was a pastor someday, you know, I would have the answers and somehow be immune from fear, worry, anxiousness. Wouldn't it be great if we could just reach this level of maturity, memorize enough of Bible verses, that we would have all the answers, but the reality is that's not how life works. We are constantly a work in progress. I mentioned earlier that the first death in the Bible was the death of a son. The first resurrection in the Bible is the resurrection of a son. Elijah prays, calls out to God, and the child is brought back to life by the power of God. He is revived. What's interesting is that you have Elijah's ministry, and then a guy named Elisha is his successor. So Elisha follows after him. And just as Elijah, through the power of God, raised individuals from the dead, this Boy, so too did Elijah, Elisha. Elisha raises the dead woman's son again, a different woman, in 2 Kings 4. In 2 Kings 13, a man is thrown into Elisha's grave, and just by touching Elisha's bones, he he is raised again from the dead. But when we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus... That our Lord and our Savior had all authority to raise the dead. In Luke 7, he raises the widow's son. In Luke 8, he raises Jairus' daughter. In John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus. He does this through his own power and authority. He is the Lord over all. He is the author of life. He is our creator. And he demonstrates his power and his authority by proclaiming it to be so. In Matthew 27, the saints are raised in their tombs. Peter raises Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 20, there's this interesting encounter where Paul the apostle is preaching. And he's going a bit long. I heard it said once, a question posed, that what does it mean when a Baptist minister takes off his watch and places it on the pulpit? What does it mean? Well, the answer is this. Absolutely nothing. 
So Paul is preaching, and this young guy named Eutychus is sitting up in a windowsill, and Paul's going and going and going, and eventually this guy passes out, falls asleep, falls out the window, and dies. So Paul goes down, revives him, brings him back to life, and then comes back up and keeps preaching. I just want to be crystal clear here on an important point. I don't have that kind of power. So I'm going to recommend you don't sit too high up in the balcony. I'm going to recommend if you want to take a nap, that you don't sit on the aisle seat. I could see that going wrong. Find the two biggest guys you can and just kind of wedge yourself right in the middle. So in case I go long and you get sleepy, you don't fall out a window. I bear no responsibility for that. But the point here that we see in this passage and the point that we see across the pages of Scripture is that God is the God of the impossible. Now again, I'm not talking about a naive, juvenile, undeveloped theology here. Right? This isn't some kind of perversion of the gospel that you see in, 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 the, in the prosperity gospel. Of like, if you just pray enough, if you just do enough, if you just believe enough, then the all-powerful, sovereign God of all creation will do your bidding. That all the treasures of heaven can be yours if you will just, I don't know, name it and claim it. God is the God of the impossible. But what that looks like in your life is often different than we think. In Isaiah chapter 55, we read this. My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God is the God of the impossible. But what this looks like in your life may be different than you're expecting. Sometimes, as the old hymn starts, God moves in mysterious ways. That song was written by a guy named William Coper, and he was a famous English poet. And one night he went to the River Thames to drown himself, to end his life. And he noticed that there was a man who was watching him. And so he decided at the last minute to go home and to to take his life in a more private manner. He later wrote that after three suicide attempts that night, it seemed as if he was thwarted by an invisible invisible hand. And he suffered from mental illness most of his life. He went into into an asylum for treatment. And there he found God through the loving and Christ-like care of a physician. Two years after leaving the hospital, he met John Newton the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And Newton challenged him to use his poetic gifts and abilities to write songs. And so he wrote the song known now as God Moves with that introductory first line. God moves in mysterious ways. You see, God is the God of the impossible. 
But sometimes he says yes. And sometimes he says no. Can you and will you have the courage to praise God in both of those situations? Sometimes God says yes. Maybe you've been praying for a prodigal, a son or a daughter who has walked away from the faith. Don't give up. Don't be, don't be hopeless. Don't give in to despair. You keep praying because God is the God of the impossible. Maybe you're here and you would want nothing more than to have a spouse who will love you and love the Lord that you can, you can walk through life with, but God has not provided that and you are, you're getting fearful. You have this desire. Bring that to him. Pray. God is the God of the impossible. Maybe you have a sickness, a health issue. Regardless of what the doctors have said, there is one great physician, and so you keep praying. He's the God of the impossible. Don't give up. But let's be honest. Most of us, most of us, if we're honest, we can handle the yeses. What are you going to do when God says no? You say, come on, I thought he was the God of the impossible. I thought he could do everything. Where was God when I was struggling? I prayed so much and and I still suffered that loss. I prayed so much and I'm still single. I prayed so much and I'm still sick. If you are bristling And wasting away under God's no, I want you to hear me right now. He is still the God of the impossible. And maybe, maybe his miraculous power is going to be displayed in your life. Not by removing you from this situation, but by sustaining you by his sufficient grace in it and through it. Maybe. This heartache, this loss, and this pain will be used by him to bring glory to his name. To point other people to the hope of the gospel. Sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. He's still the God of the impossible. But I want to acknowledge That there are times and situations in life that are so horrendous that they simply change you. And it doesn't matter how many decades have gone by, you are still walking with a limp. And you don't care how much good you see come. The hurt, the hurt captivates and dominates your mind unlike anything else. Some of you have been so hurt. I I, I want you to hear me. 
Whether he says yes, whether he says no, and even if, God forbid, you walk through a situation like this where you lose a child and your heart is broken, I want you to hear me. This side of eternity, you may never get the answers that you seek. This side. This side of eternity. But if you have trusted in Christ, there's another side. And 10 million years from now, after basking in his glory and his beauty and his majesty and his power, it will make sense. You don't have to carry this load forever because there's new life coming. All you need is for God's grace to sustain you until that final day. And then someday, someday you'll be able to say, I get it. As scandalous as that sounds, that is the truth of Scripture. I get it now. All you have to do is to make it to the end. The end of your what? 70? 80, 90 years? Do you recognize what a gift mortality is in light of our fallen nature? That God has given us 70, 80, 90 years? Can you imagine how exhausting it would be to be able to live to 900, 1,000 years trapped in the same cycles of sin and shame? You don't want to be 900 years old at the gym creeping on girls, right? You don't want to be 900 years old still trying to play God with your family and control them all. You don't want to have 900 years of wrestling with your anxiety and your fear and your shame. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise God that Christ does just that. And whether he says yes or whether he says no, he's still the God of the impossible. And maybe you will get what it is that you have asked and you will bask in the goodness and the grace of God and rejoice and sing. Or maybe you will walk through a hard season, but you will say, I never walked alone. He was with me every step of the way. He is the God of the impossible because I didn't think that I could make it. He will sustain you until the end. And then you will start fresh. Because if you have trusted in Christ, there is a resurrection coming. There is new creation coming. In Revelation 21, we are told that there is no more darkness. There is no more death. There is no more sin. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. He is the God of the impossible. You need courage because hard times are bound to come. And the good news is that you can have it. 
He's the God of the impossible. But I want you to notice something so important here because this story does not end in the valley. It has a a high point here because this boy is revived. And this passage, this, this story of the widow of Zarephath ends with a declaration. And it's the only hope that you and I have today. I want you to look carefully at the final verses of chapter 17. This woman has lost everything. This woman feels ruined. But the son is resurrected. And Elijah brings him down. And he says these words. See? Your son lives. 900 years after this account, there was another son who was resurrected. 900 years after this account, there was a man of God who came. 900 years after this account, there was a man of God who came who had not just the word of God in his mouth, who was the word of God, who did not just have a mouth filled with truth, who himself was the truth. And because of that son, because of that man of God, you and I can have courage. See the son. Hard times are bound to come. And maybe you're stuck. And maybe you're suffering. My, my word to you is the word of Elijah. See the son. He's been resurrected. Look, not to simply this passage, but beyond it. Let your heart be captured. The eyes of your heart behold Jesus, the resurrected son. Church. Whether he says yes or whether he says no, see the Son. Because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, because as Acts chapter 2 declares, death could not hold him. It was impossible for death to keep its grip on Jesus. Because of his resurrection, you can be sure of this, that he has the power and the authority to grant you a yes, that he has the grace sufficient to work in your life and sustain you if he says no, that he is the one who is coming in the end to make all things new. This is the hope that we have. But you have to see the sun. See the son, and like the widow, declare, now I know. See the son and declare like the widow, I get it now. Have courage, because God is the God of the impossible. He can work in your life. He has raised our Lord from the dead. He has guaranteed us an eternal inheritance. So see the son and with the widow declare, now I know. Take heart, church. 
Have courage. Hard times are bound to come. Yes, that's true. But it won't be forever. So take heart, have courage. He is the God of the impossible. See the son and with the widow declare, now I know. Now I get it. Now I can rest. Let me pray to that end. Father, we praise you and I thank you. And I know, Father, that even here today, there are people who are walking through situations so heart-wrenching that many of us can barely imagine. I pray a special measure of your sustaining grace upon them. And Father, whether, whether those who are here are basking in your yes or wrestling with your no, may we keep our eyes on the resurrected Son so that we can declare, now I know. Now I see it. I may not have all the answers. I may still wonder why, but I know that you are the God of the impossible. And so I rest in that. I take heart in that. I have courage because of that. Jesus, we long for the day where we are with you in eternity. Make it so, I pray, for your glory and your fame. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.